Good morning. It's so awesome to worship with all of you this weekend. And if you're new to our church, I'm Ricky. I'm honored to be the lead pastor here at Fort Carolina. We welcome you today. Thank you for braving the weather, those of you who are with us in person. And I don't know about you, but typically what I'll do on a Sunday night is I'll ask myself the question, what do I have to do tomorrow? In fact, every night I try to take a moment to think about the answer to that question, what do I have to do tomorrow? What's on my to-do list? Maybe you live by a to-do list. In fact, uh, how would you answer that question? What do I have to do tomorrow? Is there anything on your to-do list? Uh, Maybe it's to, uh, I have to pay some bills. I have to do something with the kids. I have to clean the house. I have to go to work, whatever it might be. But all of our lives are filled up at times with have-to-dos, things we just have to do. And yet, it's very dangerous to live your life just filled with have-to-dos. Because if you're not careful, you'll live a life without true purpose, without true meaning, without true direction. I don't want to live just a have-to-do life, where life becomes more of a duty, more of a drudgery, more of just checking off boxes. I want to feel like I'm living a life of meaning and of purpose. You've probably heard that old poem that says, Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And so whenever you're thinking about what do you have to do tomorrow, I hope you'll not only look at your obligations, I hope you'll also look at some opportunities that you have. Because there's a difference between I have to do something. And I have to do something. Man, I have got to go to this place. I have got to take this trip. I have got to go and talk to this person. There's a difference between have to as an obligation and have to as an opportunity. As we think about living a life of purpose, it was C.S. Lewis who said, Each morning when you wake up, all your wishes and hopes for the day rush at you like wild animals. And that is certainly true. And you wake up and there's all kinds of competing interests and obligations fighting for your time and for your attention. But if you know Christ as your Lord and Savior, you can also wake up each day with not just a list of, I have to do this and I have to do that. But you can wake up with a, I have to. I have to live on mission for Christ today. Frederick Buechner once said, our calling is where our greatest passion meets the world's greatest need. That's a great statement. I I think our calling, maybe you could supply the word our purpose, our mission in life is where our greatest passion intersects and meets the world's greatest need. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, this probably won't shock you what I'm about to say. I believe that for those of us who know Jesus, the greatest passion of our lives ought to be Him. Jesus ought to be the number one passion and priority and person in our life because of what he's done for us through his life and death, resurrection and salvation and the gift of eternal life. Jesus ought to be our greatest passion. And it also will not surprise you to hear me say the world's greatest need is to know Jesus. And listen, follower of Christ, the purpose of our life is to live a life every day that glorifies God and that introduces other people to him through faith in Jesus Christ. And yet, I often find Christians who are living these aimless, directionless lives and they get so saturated with all the have-to-dos 
that they miss, they have to do. Man, I have got to do this. And it's not, not an obligation. It is an opportunity. I have to make sure that I'm loving God with all of my heart and loving my neighbor as myself by introducing my neighbor to Jesus Christ. I want to talk to you this morning a little bit about finding your purpose in life and living on mission in everyday life. I don't want you to one day on your deathbed say, I lived a life of mediocrity and aimlessness. I want you to be able to say, I have lived this life as imperfectly as I've lived it. I've lived it on mission with Jesus. I've lived it with the purpose of glorifying God and introducing other people to him. I want to take you to a New Testament passage. It's in the Gospel of John chapter 4 this morning. John chapter 4, verse 4. And would it surprise you that there was an episode in the life of Jesus where he had to do something? He admitted it. He had to do something. It was on a to-do list that he had. And in watching how Jesus lives on mission and lives out his purpose sent by God the Father, we can discover how to live on mission. We can discover our purpose. John chapter 4, verse 4, Jesus is on a trip of preaching and teaching and healing. He's, he's raised a little animosity from the religious leaders. And here we find him, and it says in John chapter 4, verse 4, a verse that we often just read right past and miss something significant. But in John 4, verse 4, it says, and he had to pass through Samaria. He's going to Galilee, but he had to pass through Samaria. We could read those two words, had to, as an obligation. Well, he had to. But if you know anything about the culture and the geography of Jesus' day, you will know he didn't have to go through Samaria. In fact, there was such animosity between the Jews and the Samaritans of Jesus' day, pious Jews would go out of their way to bypass the region of Samaria. The Samaritans were considered by the Jews to be half-breeds, to be heretics. There was this hundreds of years animosity between these two groups of people with their rival worship practices, their rival worship places. And Jews would bypass Samaria. They would go on the eastern side of the Jordan to get wherever they were going and not go through. So whenever it says, and he had to pass through Samaria, he did not geographically have to. This have to is not the have to of obligation. It is the have to of opportunity. He had to go because he was on a divine mission. He had a divine appointment. There was a person in that region that he needed to meet. And he was going to change her life. She had no clue who this Jesus was. She had no clue that he was coming her way. But Jesus had to. He was living on purpose, living by the direction of the Holy Spirit, and he was on his way, not out of obligation, but opportunity. Look at verse 5. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. In other words, it's about noonday. Verse 7, A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. 
Verse 8, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Do you see something here? Jesus had to pass through Samaria because Jesus was on a mission to meet someone there. He had to pass through Samaria because he had to reach someone with his love and with the good news of Jesus. And he had to reach someone for God. He was living on purpose, living out a mission. Now think about this. This is midday when Jesus reaches this well, Jacob's well. It's a well that had gone back generations. It's a well that still exists today. It's over a hundred feet deep. And there Jesus goes and he's wearied and he's tired and he's thirsty. So he sits down by this well. And it's noon. It's the sixth hour. About the sixth hour, John tells us. And then there's a woman from Samaria who comes by. And there again, we're, we're so separated from this culture in our 21st century that it doesn't surprise us that a woman comes to the well to draw water. That's what they had to do. But it is surprising that she comes in the hottest part of the day. In that culture, in the Palestinian heat, women would typically go to fetch water for their households early in the morning before it is too hot. And they would have to carry that water back to their homes. Or they would come late in the afternoon when it was cooler. But this woman is coming in noonday. It's almost as if she's trying to avoid other people. It's almost as if she doesn't want to be seen by other women. It's almost as if she's tired of being gossiped about by the town folks. So she just goes by herself in the hottest part of the day. And there she meets a man who speaks to her. There again, this is also shocking. It's shocking that a man would speak to a woman who was not his wife in public like this. But it's also shocking that a Jewish man would speak to a Samaritan woman because of the animosity between these two groups of people. And yet Jesus is not afraid to talk to her, and he asks her for a drink of water. Give me a drink. He's getting her attention. He's striking up a conversation with her, and she is absolutely shocked. Look at verse 9. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? And then John adds parenthetically, For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Verse 10, Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Jesus says, you're shocked that I'm talking to you? But if you knew who was talking to you, you would discover there's a greater gift here than this water that's in Jacob's well. See, Jesus is taking something physical, something literal, and he uses it as a platform, as a launching point into a spiritual conversation. She doesn't understand that yet. She doesn't understand that Jesus isn't just talking about physical water. He's not just talking about a well. He's wanting to start a conversation with her to help her realize her need for a relationship with God through faith in the Messiah. And the Messiah is the very one talking to her at this moment. And if she knew who he was, she would say to him, I need something from you. You're asking me to do something for you? I need something from you. 
Jesus, if you're the Messiah, I need forgiveness. I need eternal life. I need the grace of God. I need to be restored in my life. But she doesn't recognize Jesus. She doesn't know that he is the Messiah. So he is taking where she is, and he's using that as a platform to start the spiritual conversation. And he says, if you knew who the gift of God, what is the gift of God? It is the gift of forgiveness, the gift of God's grace, his unmerited, undeserved love. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink. If you knew that I am sent by God, I am God in flesh, then you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. What is Jesus talking about? Well, literally, living water refers to flowing water, not stagnant water. But there again, Jesus is taking the the lower and he's pointing to the higher. He's not just talking about physical water. He's talking about the Holy Spirit of God, God's presence in our lives. A gift that the Messiah can give to everyone who believes in him. The gift of God's presence in you that becomes a source of life and strength and comfort and grace and direction that the world can't see and the world can't touch and the world can't take away from you. The presence of God in your life. Verse 11, the woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? she's still just not getting it. Preachers sometimes have that problem, you know. We go, oh man, they're not getting it. So I gotta, I gotta think of another way to illustrate this point. I gotta think of another way to drive this home. That's why if you don't say amen once in a while, I just think you're not getting it. And we go longer because I have to explain things and repeat things. Thank you, that's right. <laughs> Keep going, preacher, that's good. So, so she's just still thinking about water. Because this well is deep. If it's 100 feet deep today in the 21st century, it was deeper, I'm sure, in the first century. And then she asked this question, verse 12, Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. In other words, are you greater than the father of our faith, the father of the 12 tribes of Israel? Verse 13, Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water from this well will be thirsty again. And she knew that. She had come to this well many times in her life. And she would come to this well many more times before life was over. You drink from this water, it's only going to be temporary. You're going to thirst again. Verse 14, But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Life. Verse 15, the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. She's still not getting it. He's talking about a spiritual water, a spiritual refreshment, a spiritual well of eternal life that comes when you place your faith in Jesus and she hasn't yet guided it. She's still thinking literally rather than spiritually. Not understanding the gift that Jesus is offering her is the great gift of God's grace and eternal life and the Holy Spirit. So Jesus, verse 16, probes a little farther to dig into her spiritual need. Verse 16, Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. 
The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband. Verse 18, For you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. Whoa. This Jewish stranger has just revealed he knows more about her than she could ever have imagined. Jesus says, yeah, you're right, you have no husband. You've had five husbands. Now, Jesus doesn't tell us what happened in these five marriages, but only really two things could have happened, death or divorce. And they're no longer her husbands. Those marriages are over. Oh, and the man she's living with now is not a marriage. He's not her husband. Living together doesn't make a marriage. A marriage is a commitment between two people before God where they publicly commit themselves to each other as husband and wife, and living together is not marriage. And Jesus says, the man you have now is not your husband. You've said rightly, I have no husband. Now listen, friends, Jesus is not saying this. He's not bringing this up to condemn her. He's wanting her to realize there's far more to the man who is speaking to her than meets the eye. How could he know these things about her? if he were not sent by God. Have you ever been in a church service and the preacher's preaching and you think, did someone tell him to say that because I was here? Did my wife send him a note saying, you really need to drive this point home? Did he know we just had that argument before we got to church today? Did he know that I'm struggling with this temptation in my life? Did he know that I have these questions and I've been searching for answers? Because it sounds like he's talking to me. And how would he know that? Friend, it's the Holy Spirit of God. And what Jesus is doing is he's wanting her to realize a glimpse of who he is. He's not just a Jew. He is sent by God. And he is there to help her find real living water. Now she's picking up on the fact this is a spiritual conversation. Look at verse 19. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. So now she's going to ask him the preacher questions. Verse 20, Our father worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. Jesus is saying there's going to come a day where it's not about the place of worship. It's going to be about the people of worship. Jesus is wanting her to know that there's going to be a day. He dies for the sins of the world. He rises from the dead. And now you are the temple of the Holy Spirit because God's presence is in you. And he's wanting her to know that salvation is not from the Samaritans. God didn't promise to send the Messiah through the Samaritans. He promised to send the Messiah that the world needs through the descendant of Abraham, the Jewish people. In verse 23, Jesus says, But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. Not just Jewish people, but all people. Look at verse 24. God is spirit, Jesus says, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. Verse 25, the woman said to Him, I know that Messiah is coming, He who is called Christ. 
When He comes, He will tell us all things. Verse 26. I love this. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am He. You're talking to the Messiah. You are talking to the one sent by the Father. You are talking to the Christ. Verse 27 says, Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman. <gasps> Scandal of all scandals. But no one said, What do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? <laughs> they just keep their mouths shut. Well, I don't know if I'd have been doing that. I don't know if we ought to be talking to her. But I love that about Jesus. The disciples are scandalized that he's talking to her, but not Jesus. In spite of her reputation, in spite of her past, in spite of what Jesus himself knows about her, he doesn't keep his distance from her. He comes to her. And he loves her. And he wants her in the family of God. And he wants her to find what she's really looking for. She's not just looking for physical water. What she's really looking for is a love that will never die. Five and six men have tried, but they have failed her. What she's looking for is someone who will never let her down. What she's looking for is a whom she's looking for. She's looking for Jesus. And he's right there. He's what she needs. He's what she's after. And he presents himself to her. And Jesus says, I've come to change your life. Out of my love. Verse 28. So the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, verse 29, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Verse 30. They went out of the town and were coming to him. Friends, don't you understand Jesus had to go through Samaria because he had to meet a woman there who was far from God. And Jesus' mission in this world was to reach people who were far from God and to bring them home. And it's not too bold of me to say, Jesus' mission is your mission. Jesus' mission is our mission. It is to so love God the Father and love our neighbor as ourselves that we live on mission to reach people who are far from God through the gospel of Jesus Christ. We reach others who are far from God so they can reach others who are far from God. Jesus reached the Samaritan woman, but he not only had a divine appointment with her, he had a divine appointment with the people of Samaria because he wanted her to go and tell. And that's exactly what she did. She left her water jar at Jacob's well. She runs back into town and she starts telling everybody that will listen, come and meet a man who told me everything I've ever done. He knows more about me than anybody. Could this man be the Christ we've all been looking for? And having reached her, she wants to go and reach others. And the people of Samaria, they come out to hear Jesus teach, to meet him. And she introduces them to Jesus. I love that. Fort Caroline Baptist Church, follower of Christ, I want you to understand something. We have got to get out of this mindset that Christianity is just about me. What Christ did was not just for me. Christ reached me far from God so that I could then join him in his mission of reaching other people who are far from God. 
Who is it in your life who's far from God who needs Jesus? They're looking in all the wrong places. Remember that country song, Looking for Love? And all the, I won't sing it, but looking for love in all the wrong places. And you know what they need. They need Jesus. And Jesus has changed us and reached us so that we can then go and help other people who are far from God. Can I ask you a question? What's the mission statement of our church? Anybody know it without looking? We exist to glorify God by doing what? Love God, love others, serve the world. Exactly. And do you know why we love God, love others, and serve the world? So that we can reach people who are far from God. That's why we do what we do. Christ has reached us. Now we join him in his mission to reach other people. There's a person in our church. Actually, there's a husband and a wife in our church. They will worship if they're able to be here today. They'll worship in the second hour. They sit right around here in the front every week. And their names are Chuck and September Pittman. I tell you, it is hardly a week that goes by that Chuck and September aren't bringing new people to our church or are telling me before the service, please pray, we've invited someone, we're hoping they will come today. I'm not exaggerating that. It is almost every single week. Last week, they were a little dejected because someone who is far from God, whom they have invested in and prayed with and invited to our church, didn't come. But they're not giving up on her. They're praying that maybe today she will come. You know why they do it? Because they, they recognize the grace of God that reached them, and now they want to help reach others. A few years ago, September shared her testimony. It's on her website, but I thought I'd share it with you again today. Watch this from September Pittman. My name is September. I was born into an alcoholic home, um, very abusive. Um, I was physically, mentally, and sexually abused as a child. Um, my mom died at 11, and at that time in my life, I was kind of like done with people telling me what to do, so I um, chose to live on the streets. Uh, I lived on the streets from 11 to 15. Um, also, I started drinking and drugging at 11. I just, you know, all I did was I just drank and drugged. Uh, you know, that's all I knew how to do um, to get through any kind of emotions because I never really had any. I didn't know what they were. And um, I was in and out of jail um, for drinking and driving. Um, and, but, you know, through all of that, I never really... I wanted to get help. I didn't want to do the things I did, but um, I didn't know how to not do them. And I went through like a depression um, for about two years. And um, while I was uh, going through this depression, I met a brother who uh, my mother died giving childbirth to. Um, he was 37. And I met him and I went to West Virginia to meet the family who raised him, um, his little niece which was 11 years old. Um, she had her Bible out and she was talking to me and she said, you know, September, are you saved? And I'm like, well, I don't know what you mean by am I saved, right? Um, but um, I said, I believe in God, you know, I said, but that's about as far as I've gone. And she goes, well, you know, September, you know, because she knew a little bit about my story from my brother. And she goes, you know, uh, Jesus has already forgiven you. 
and sorry. It still touches my heart that this girl, I was 11 when I started living on the streets and she was 11 and I just, I, I don't know, she was just so awesome and I got saved there. So when I came back, um, you know, I had been in AA for many years and it, it worked for me and I just was looking for something different. So reading the paper, um, I seen um, Celebrate Recovery and I was like really curious about, you know, what that was all about. And so um, it took me three times cutting it out, sitting on my desk, you know, before I finally came and to see what it was about. And in AA, you know, you, you can talk about God, you know, but you don't really talk about Jesus and you don't talk about the Bible. You know, um, I had worked through the steps in AA and I found here the steps that um, are from the big, big book, which is the Bible. You know, I always say I came to church through the back door, you know, because I came to celebrate recovery and um, it was a part of this church. When I heard Pastor Ricky um, doing his sermon, I'm just like, wow. You know, I said, I think I found home. And I have been coming here to the church since then. Um, my husband um, is now coming, and my daughter and her husband. My son just joined us, and, and we're all part of Celebrate Recovery as well because this is a family disease, you know. So um, my family is here, and um, today I'm good, <laughs> you know. I'm, I'm happy, joyous, and free. You know, I have Jesus in my life, and my life is good. Amen. We love God, love others, and serve the world in order to reach people who are far from God. That is what it is about. And I love that I see that purpose in life and living on mission in September. Pittman, one of my dearest friends. And I believe that's the way God wants all of us to live is to know that he has loved us and he is changing us and he is blessing us so that we can then be a blessing to other people. The faith of God has always been about blessing other people. All the way back to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, verse 2, in the covenant God made with him, God said to Abraham, I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. It was never just about Abraham. It was about God working through Abraham and his descendants to one day send Jesus, the Messiah, who is the Savior of the world. And it was never just about us getting saved and having our sins forgiven and heaven is our home. It was about God blessing us so that we could be a blessing to other people. In fact, uh, Dave Ferguson and John Ferguson wrote a book called Five Everyday Ways to uh, Change Your World Without Changing Your uh, schedule, your routine, and they talk about how to bless people that you want to reach with the good news of Christ. It's a little acrostic that we've been using around our church that maybe will be our homework this week because I want our life groups to start asking a question. Whenever you guys meet every week, I want you to ask the question, who did you bless this week? Somebody share a story. Who did you bless this week? Our staff is asking ourselves that question. Who did we bless this week? 
B reminds us to begin with prayer. Who do you need to start praying for who's far from God? Talk to God about them. Lift them up to God in prayer. Begin with prayer. L stands for listen with care. Whenever you want to share uh, the good news of Christ, why don't you listen to what they're asking? Why don't you listen to what they need? Why don't you listen to what they're experiencing and what they're going through? That's what Jesus did with the woman at the well. Begin with prayer. Listen with care. And then eat. Eat together. I love that part. Hang out with people. Spend time with people. Get to know people. Show hospitality to people. S then reminds us to serve with care. To serve out of a heart of love. Meet a need. Provide a solution. Be a friend. And then the final S reminds you when God gives you that open door, share your story. Share your story of faith in Christ. Maybe it's you being like the Samaritan woman who says to your friend, listen, I've met someone. His name is Jesus. I want you to come. Come to my church and learn more about this Jesus who's changing my life. I believe he can change yours too. So we're going to encourage you this week. Live on mission. Live on mission. Love God. Love others. Serve the world in order to reach those who are far from God. Bless people in a practical way this week. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, in the stillness of this moment, I thank you for this reminder from the life of Jesus of what it means to live on mission. We thank you, Jesus, that your mission is our mission. To so love God the Father and love our neighbor as ourselves that you use us to reach people who are far from God. And God, we know the only way to really reach people is we can't do it, but Jesus can. And we can introduce people to him and he can take it from there. God, help us to be found faithful in living on mission. God, would you put on our heart today someone who's far from you, whom you could use us to reach, to bless, to invite. And Father, I pray that there's someone in this room today who is looking for a church to be a part of, that they won't just check off a box. Do I like the music? Do I like the preaching? Is it convenient? Do they have service times that I like? Do they have programs and ministries for my family? God, I pray that they will find a church that is living on mission in this community to reach people who are far from God. And if they're not interested in that, we're not the church for them. If they're not willing to go out of their way and to be inconvenienced and to sacrifice and to make room for people who are different than us, then this is not the church for them. But God, I pray that you would continue to add to this church people who have been changed by your grace and who want to now introduce other people to Jesus. And we'll give you praise, God, for the difference you make through our lives and through our church. And Father, if there is somebody today who needs Jesus, I pray that right now, before it's eternally too late, they would say, Dear God, I admit to you I'm a sinner. I need Jesus. I need his forgiveness. I need the gift of God of eternal life. And today I turn from my sin and I believe in him. I trust in him and him alone. He is the Christ. I confess my faith in him today. I have a lot of questions. There's stuff I don't understand about him or the Bible. But I understand this. I need Jesus. I trust in him. Friend, if today you will call upon the name of the Lord, the Bible says you shall be saved. Welcome to the family of God. In fact, let someone know today that you've done that. Go to Pastor Matt at the next step area as you make your way out and let him know today I've trusted Christ. Heavenly Father, have your perfect will and way. Find us obedient. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I love you guys. God bless you and happy Sunday.